now tuned in to the Believers Podcast, bringing you updates on your Chicago Bulls. Hosted by yours truly, Keith Franz, aka Bulls Scripted on Twitter. Well, Bulls Nation, the core four is no longer undefeated. To think just Friday, we had never lost with all four in the starting lineup. But we lost today, recording it's like almost an hour and a half away from New Year's Eve, which is crazy. Maybe the Bulls will play a different brand of basketball in 2019. I have a feeling that they're going to next season at least, so that's positive. This season, I think the two games that we have had with the core four have been pretty good. Going to Wendell early and often. Tonight, he didn't have a single foul. Further proving a point that I've been making on Twitter. I think the other night he had over 15 points and more than three fouls. But prior to Friday against the Wizards, Wendell, anytime he had over 15 points this season outside of one occasion against Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond where he had 28 points, he had four fouls. But outside of that, anytime he had 15 or more points... He did not have more than three fouls. So you hear Stacey King during the broadcast all the time saying, get him engaged early, and that should help kind of keep him out of foul trouble. And as weird as that sounds, it does seem to be a trend that works. It correlates in the stats. It makes sense. You know, you're less lazy with your hands and less nonchalant about everything if you're actually involved in the game. So I think the Bulls have done a very good job with all four in the starting lineup. Going to Wendell early, Zach knows that he can get instant offense pretty much whenever he wants, although he did struggle tonight. There's a lot of missed calls on drives, and hopefully the rest of the season he gets to establish himself so he does get those calls next year. And the same thing goes for Chris Dunn, who I think is actually getting more calls this year than he has in the past. But in general, the Bulls don't get very many foul calls. And I don't have the totals right in front of me at the second if there was a discrepancy tonight, but a lot of games so far this year, there's nights where the Bulls have like 10 free throws total and the other teams got close to 25. So hopefully in time as the Bulls are in respect and the players are in respect with the referees and we start playing a little bit better, maybe we'll start getting some more calls and that should help Wendell a lot. Done in Levine when it comes to scoring and their field goal percentage. The referees being on your side is a big thing, and I don't know when we're going to get that respect. It probably won't come until next season or beyond, but the Bulls going to Wendell early is a very effective thing to do, and I think they should continue to do it, and then they need to go to Lowry often, and Zach knows that he can get his offense whenever he wants. First game against the Wizards. He took three shots in the first half. In the second half, the Bulls played beautiful team basketball, and it was a lot of fun to watch. So I think we're headed in the right direction. Once Bobby Portis comes back, we have some depth. But the most important thing right now is trading Justin Holiday, And Jim Boylan is killing me, man. The post game, they ask him about Chandler Hutchison, and if he... You know, thought about riding Hutch into the fourth quarter because he was 5-for-5 and he was having, you know, the best game of his rookie season. And Boylan said, nope, never intended to do that. Like, he wasn't even an option. And that, that really bothered me because 
I'm a big Hutch supporter. I think Hutch has got a lot more in him than uh, he's been allowed to show because he hasn't got to play extended minutes a lot. And for Hutch, the biggest thing is just getting out of his own way. He hit a three-pointer tonight that looked pretty effortless. It was late shot clock, so he kind of had to shoot it without thinking about it. And with Hutch, when it comes to three-point shots, it always seems like it's swish or air. <laughs> Unfortunately, more air than swish. But he has the size. He has the athleticism. I think it's truly just a confidence thing with him right now. Coming out of Boise State, I don't know if he feels that he truly belongs. But you can see on his drives and in transition and on defense that he has all the tools necessary to be a really good player. And honestly, outside of you know Holiday's only skill, which is catch and shoot, I'm not sure that there's much that Holiday does that's better than Hutch. So please, Chicago Bulls, freaking trade Holiday. This is getting old. I'm tired of 30-plus minutes, 35-plus minutes, 40 minutes of Holiday. He sucks. He shoots under 40% for his career. He's, he's below average. Just get him out of here. He's, he's not part of our future. I don't know how he's on the leadership committee, especially over Chris Dunn. That's just insane. But get Holiday out of here. Or at least cut his minutes, because this is getting ridiculous. Chandler Hutchison needs to play. I don't want to win games because of Holiday. And although tonight against the Raptors, Holiday did some dumb stuff down the stretch that probably led to his getting a loss. So, in a way, I should probably love Justin Holiday right now because, you know, losses are kind of going to be important when we get to the end of the season. We're not making the playoffs. Competitive losses are just as good as competitive wins in our situation. So, I liked what I saw tonight. Levine had an off-scoring night. Didn't get many calls. I think he only made three field goals. So, we need to improve on that. Uh, Lowry really, 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 really has to get better in the post and stronger with the ball. They always have somebody coming off the ball to trap and double him and put pressure on him, and he turns the ball over, I feel like, 80% of the time. And... I've never seen him once use a traditional post move and get a bucket. It's always a Dirk fader, and he's always moving away from the basket, even if it's somebody smaller than him. And I get it. He's using his size, and it's an effective move, and it works most of the time. But he has to learn how to use his size in the post, moving towards the basket. If Lowry can learn to do that, and he can improve his ball handling skills, the sky is the limit for him. Because when it comes to a jump shot and being an offensive weapon, there's really not many seven-footers in the league unless you start getting into the Kevin Durants that have the kind of advantage he does from a height and skill as a shooter. And I'm not saying Lowry's ever going to be Kevin Durant, but I think you get what I'm coming from. I'm saying a seven-footer that can shoot that well is very rare to have. If Lowry can improve down low in the post and become a complete inside-outside player, he can be a top player in this league. And I think a lot of the muscle that he put on in this offseason, he probably lost when he hurt his arm. He's inactive. If you've ever worked out for a long time, even if you stop for like a week or two, you can see your tone and your definition start to fade away. It's very bizarre. But it's something that you have to stay consistent with. So expecting him to maintain that through the inactivity of a sprained elbow, it's kind of unrealistic. Because you also don't want him 
only working one arm and then being disproportionate to the point where it's awkward. So I think Lowry has a very bright future, but it's very disappointing to see him have small forwards and shooting guards that he should just be destroying down low, and he's not. That's the part of his game that concerns me the most. I think he can be a well-above-average passer. Uh, him and Wendell have both had double-doubles last two nights. So our rebounding is getting better, but we're still getting killed on the offensive glass. We still need to get better rebounding as a team, and I think Hutch would really help with that. And sometimes uh, the way that the season is going and Jabari ultimately being the definition of dead cap space but being active on your roster... Like, are the Bulls not playing Hutch because they're afraid that he's going to do too good? Because I truly feel that it is obvious that Hutch fits very good in between Levine and Lowry. He doesn't need to shoot a lot like Justin Holiday, who hasn't been shooting very well at all, so it's not like his shooting's even helping the team currently. But Hutch is more of a passive player on the offensive end than he is a chucker, which is the only thing that Holiday is. He's better than Holiday in transition. He's probably a better secondary playmaker. I think versatility-wise overall, since he is a legit small forward, he's probably a better defender, and he's here for the future. So I don't understand it. And there's no doubt that Holiday is a million times better catch-and-shoot player than him right now. But outside of that, the fit in between Levine and Lowry, who you want taking most of the shots for your team just makes a lot more sense to me than Holiday. I get Holiday's a spacer. He keeps delaying this and blah, blah, blah. But you put Hutch in a corner, somebody's going to pay attention to him. And if they don't, that just means Hutch gets a lot of practice at three-pointers from the corner. And I don't see that as a negative. So Hutch needs to play more. Holiday is at the point in his career where, like Jabari, he's a known commodity. If anything, you're risking injury and hurting Holiday's value by playing him over 35 minutes a night, then you are increasing his trade value at this point. Holiday has been on the trade block since last year. I see a different tweet from some sub-source on Twitter every day about Holiday's availability. The first tweet that I saw about Holiday's availability was in October. So, I don't know how Holiday is still here. And that really needs to change. And so does the fact that Jabari's here. And unfortunately, I think teams are using that aspect of the situation that Jabari is going to get unhappy. He is going to be pissed off. And if they do want Jabari as something more than a cap dump, which they can get from the Bulls with Rolo and Holiday if they so choose to, is they can get Jabari for free in the buyout market past the trade deadline if the Bulls just buy him out. And Jabari will be a mercenary-like pickup for a team, unless the, he, unless he gets the Carmelo Anthony treatment in free agency. If the Bulls buy him out, a playoff team will pick him up to have him on their bench, which on a playoff team, he's likely to accept that role more than he is in the Bulls situation where he thought he was going to be playing for a long-term job and... Unfortunately, he didn't come in looking like a small forward, and the Bulls really don't need a power forward. So removing him from the situation, although the optics are horrible because he's paid $20 million, and he's a Chicago kid, and he has all this potential in the world, I, I get it. 
from a logical standpoint, he's not part of the future. Why would you risk injury? Why would you take away from development? All of those things are a negative by playing Jabari. And if he contributes to your wins, then he's just hurting your draft stock for no reason because he's not going to be here, and that's a negative too. So I understand why Jabari's pissed because he's not playing. Obviously, he's being made look like a fool in his hometown. But he did some of it to himself, so I don't feel that bad for him. So overall, that's where I think the current state of the Bulls is. But I do want to touch on a topic that has been floating around Twitter a lot, and that's the Bulls' possibility of trading for Anthony Davis in a hypothetical world where we have a top three or four pick in the draft, and we'd have the assets more so than even a Boston or a Lakers because we'd have a draft pick now in a good draft class or a solid draft class that's probably at least five, six, seven, eight deep that you'd have that piece plus probably a Wendell Carter, which I hate to talk about and say because I've really come to love Wendell Carter Jr. and think he's going to be a very important piece to this team moving forward. But on draft night, I didn't quite feel that way. And how I kind of got myself through it was telling myself, well, if I was trading Anthony Davis, wouldn't I want, you know, like somebody similar, obviously not on the superstar level, but at least comparable in position and style of play to where if I had a system that I was running that I could just plug this guy in, and though I wouldn't get the offensive production, that he'd be very similar. And if I could pick that guy out, I'd probably say that's Wendell Carter Jr. So before Wendell Carter Jr. even played a regular season game for the Bulls, I was trying to trade him for Anthony Davis, and I've kind of backed away from that. And part of it's because Anthony Davis is still unproven in my mind. Right now, he has all the spare parts that I hear around Bulls Twitter that the Bulls could have won with if they kept alongside Jimmy Butler and Etwan Moore and Nikola Miritich. And then somebody better than Spencer Dinwiddie and Drew Holiday. So he has all these players, and right now, Pelicans have gone through a lot of injuries similar to how they did last year, which, hey, you know, give the Bulls a call. We got Justin Holiday hot and ready off the press for you. Uh, he can join his brother and you guys can get some shooting. But to stay on topic, I don't know how much I'm willing to give up for Anthony Davis. He's unproven. He's missed 14 or more games in four seasons. The least amount of games he's ever missed in a season is seven games. And I just, I don't know. I feel when it comes to the durability of a big man, I don't know if I want to tie 40-something million into a big man. And it's Anthony Davis, and you can call me crazy, but unless he's signing that contract and the Bulls aren't just using the asset that is cap space to sign Anthony Davis into their core and adding to the depth, I don't know that I want to trade for him. And that was before I went ahead and started reading online and reading a bunch of articles that essentially say... AD intends on signing one plus one contracts, similar to LeBron did, and just control his situation and ultimately try to, you know, be a GM and dictate what happens, you know, just have consistent control of his career, and I can't blame him for that. Although, given his injury history, I think I'd probably secure the long-term bag. But without a commitment from Anthony Davis to at least three guaranteed years. If I'm the Chicago Bulls, I'm not trading that much for Anthony Davis. All of our contracts are controlled. 
outside of Levine, who I guess you only have control over for three years, and then he'll be an unrestricted free agent. If he didn't enjoy his time here and he doesn't like his current role, he can go sign with whoever he wants. But Lowry Markinen, Wendell Carter Jr., uh, the draft pick that we will have this year, will all be restricted free agents at the end of their rookie contracts, meaning the Bulls ultimately have the final say in whether or not they get to keep that player in any situation possible. Um, unless that player just doesn't want to sign and takes their qualifying offer and forces their way into unrestricted free agency. But even then, you get the player for a minimum of five years. So I don't think trading a bunch of controlled contracts for Anthony Davis to then not know what your future is over and over again and have that looming over your team every season is a good foundation. We've seen how chaotic those situations are with LeBron. We're seeing it this year with Golden State with Durant's option looming and the rumors that he's not going to be there and that he's not focused on this and you know he's worried about his future after this and he's just going to be in cruise control because they think they got this three-peat on lock and you know once he gets that, he's going to move on and if they lose, he's going to move on. So that whole situation looming over the team throughout the whole entire season can cause problems and as a Bulls fan, we got enough problems that we create for ourselves. We don't need to sign a high-profile free agent from Chicago that we expect to be our savior like Derrick Rose was, and then he comes here and he's either injured or we just have complete dysfunction all the time because nobody knows if he's staying or if he's going. And I also would like to see what we have. And somebody like Giannis Antetokounmpo, may become available in a similar situation to Anthony Davis down the road. And if I could pick one superstar in the NBA right now that I'd want, and it's very possible that Giannis ends up staying in Milwaukee. He's said a lot of times that he never wants to leave Milwaukee, but if they are stuck in mediocrity and they can't get past second round or the Eastern Conference Finals, at some point he might get anxious, and if Milwaukee isn't willing to spend the money to go into the tax and they don't have the draft assets and the situation to keep him happy and give him what he wants, which for most extremely competitive people isn't even so much money. It's championships and the ability and the opportunity to compete for championships. So if you gave me the option between Anthony Davis and Giannis Antetokounmpo, I'm taking Giannis every time. I think he's more versatile. I think AD's the better three-point shooter. But outside of that, Giannis can be your point guard. Anthony Davis can do that too, I suppose. So they're, they're very similar in a lot of ways, but I think Giannis is just more versatile. I think he's more durable. And I think if I had to pick between the two, he's who I'd want. So with that in mind, I don't see what the rush is to get into this bidding war with the Lakers and the Celtics, which I don't think the Bulls would really be that outclassed in. I don't know how much more value Jalen Brown on one year left of a rookie contract before he's a restricted free agent has than Zach Levine, who's on what I would consider a budget contract for what Zach Levine can bring to your team and what Zach Levine can be moving forward. Trading for Jalen Brown, you don't know. The Bulls, for example, they need a small forward. 2020, if we just sign veterans in the offseason or we take on cap, to get an extra first-round pick and a Jabari trade that's hopefully coming soon. And we just roll that cap over, and our cap space is now for 2020 when Jalen Brown and Brandon Ingram are restricted free agents. What's stopping the Bulls from offering Jalen Brown 
you know, just under max money, $20 million, somewhat around what Zach Levine has, to try to steal him as a restricted free agent. And then you have to match that contract. Now you've got a player that you don't even know if you think has a higher ceiling overall than Zach Levine and you're paying him more money long-term simply because you had to match, similar to the Bulls. Not that the Bulls didn't want to match, but you get where I'm going with this. So I don't know that Jalen Brown has more value than Zach Levine. I don't know if I'm the Boston Celtics that I want to trade a controlled contract like Jason Tatum for Anthony Davis if he doesn't intend to sign long-term. And I think that is going to be a very big factor in what happens here. Because if Anthony Davis comes out and says, I only intend to sign contracts with player options every year while I'm in my prime. I think the Lakers are the best destination and probably the only destination for him because with LeBron, the Lakers are on a timeline in which they're only going year to year. And if you can get Anthony Davis in, you can get him to re-sign over and over and over again with LeBron. The flip side of that, you could get Anthony Davis in and he hates playing with LeBron, like we have seen, not necessarily hate, obviously Dwayne Wade and LeBron James are best friends, off the court, Kyrie Irving wanted to get out of Cleveland because he didn't want to get stuck with that situation, and obviously Anthony Davis with player options on his contract could avoid that if he didn't like playing with LeBron and they gave all that up for him. That could really blow up in their face, but I think they're the only team that would be willing to take that risk. So if I'm the Chicago Bulls, I think I just stay the course. And for some reason, some people think that that's a bad course, which I don't know how, because we're talking about having the assets to trade for Anthony Davis after trading Jimmy Butler not even a year and a half ago yet. So I think fans need to kind of just relax, enjoy the little things, because there's bright things to come. And certain people think I'm crazy, apparently. A lot of people think I'm a Garpax burner account, which just cracks me up. I wish somebody was paying me. But the future is bright. And don't let the past or the bias that's out there for the front office that I don't trust just like you don't. But I can't argue with results. And being in a situation where we could either A, trade for Anthony Davis, or have pieces that we like to the point where we don't really want to give that many of them up to get Anthony Davis, I don't think that's a bad situation. I think if you're in a situation like that, you're in the driver's seat. You add our cap situation where we can continually decide to take on bad contracts for teams that might be desperate going into a free agency like this that want to make additions, that have a window that is much smaller and sooner to be contenders than the Bulls do. And that's Ultimately, what I think the Bulls were trying to do with Jabari's contract. On the last podcast, I went over the two uh, cap dump-like situations with Mello and the Denver Nuggets that I would have liked to have seen the Bulls get, and I was disappointed, like a lot of people, when they didn't get them done and they had to settle for Jabari Parker. But because of the way that they got Jabari Parker's contract, our worst-case scenario is Jabari Parker not playing, us not making $20 million of improvements, and having to organically see what we have instead of forcing mediocrity in this and really just shooting ourselves in the foot for a worse draft pick. So we maintained our flexibility, and those are the two things that I'm excited about as a Bulls fan going through the season. It's just evaluating what we have and then looking at the offseason that's coming with another likely top 10 pick at bare minimum 
and then having around 40 million in cap to spend. Half of that cap is because we use Jabari Parker as a cap holder like the Lakers have been using Contavious Caldwell Pope as a cap holder for the last two years. So you keep rolling over your cap, and hopefully the Bulls are smart enough to continually do this with veterans that they sign in the offseason. Get one plus one with team options. Keep the flexibility. Keep the option of keeping that player if they prove themselves to you, but also keep the flexibility to make a big move if a big free agent wants to come sign with you, because it will happen. You can't tell me that Jabari Parker being out of shape and getting benched and not being played when he's on the trading block is going to keep a free agent from wanting to come to Chicago in a great situation. The core that is here, the opportunity that is here, and the equal payment that everybody else can give them will bring them in. And I think we're building towards that. So hopefully the Bulls get these trades done. The trade deadline is February 7th. We have a little over five weeks. I just wanted to get here, and I wish teams didn't wait till the last minute to do stuff, but it really seems like things don't move in this league without LeBron James. LeBron James says that he wants Trevor Ariza, and the day that the hours that Trevor Ariza becomes available to trade, he is traded to a different team that isn't the Lakers because that team didn't want the Lakers to get Ariza. So I really wish LeBron James wanted Jabari Parker or Justin Holiday, get that market burning. That'd be fantastic. But outside of that, I think we're headed in the right direction. It's going to be painful some nights. Hopefully Boylan turns the knob up on the volume of the offense shortly. But we were in a game tonight with arguably one of the best teams in the league, minus Kyle Lowry. So that was fun. And slowing it down is allowing us to be in these games. The Bulls won three out of five of the last games, and in each of those games they held their opponents under 92 points. There is a method to the madness. And I think in a league where teams are consistently scoring over 100 points, if you can keep yourself in a lower scoring game and control the game similar to a football team with a running offense, I think that's smart. And the Bulls are practicing their fundamentals in the process. So hopefully it pays off. I made a joke the other day because Steve Kerr was quoted saying that he didn't implement the Warriors' defense, that Mark Jackson did. So hopefully Boylan is just the Bulls' Mark Jackson, and we find a better coach in the offseason that everybody can like. Not that I think anybody's going to like any coach that the Bulls hire until we get back to contention. And then, like Thibodeau, they'll bemoan his departure whenever that comes. But thank you for your time again. going to try to record after the next Bulls game. Eventually, I do want to get some guests on here. I only have one microphone, though, so the quality really wouldn't be that great. So i got to find a solution to that. But I do want to get some guests on in the future, maybe even people from Twitter. You know, have you hop on and have a mini debate with me on a topic about your favorite team. But other than that, enjoy your holiday. Be safe. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. Wait, that doesn't leave much out. Just be safe. Enjoy your holiday. I'll get back to you in the new year. Go Bulls.